0: UMGoBlue.com, by fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Derringer.
0: And we're going to talk about Michigan's 33-7 to victory over Northwestern. Huge win coming after the bye week, setting up a huge conflict with Michigan State. But first things first. Well Clint, what did you think about Michigan's victory over Northwestern?
1: Well, I I thought that on a play by play and drive by drive basis, it seemed that's exactly what a blowout looks like. It's a pretty comfortable feeling as you're watching play by play, but uh, you know Michigan bogging down in the red zone pretty badly in the first half made it, you know, more, you know, injected more anxiety into the uh, halftime score than than needed to be, you know, a 10-7 didn't feel good despite Michigan playing pretty well, you know, and uh, eventually, you know, they had, had a really great third quarter. I think uh Northwestern on top of, you know, having kind of a talent deficit eventually kind of cracked under the pressure because Michigan ran just uh, so many plays in the first half. They ran 34 plays in the second quarter alone on offense and just wore down, Northwestern, and eventually they buckled. And uh, the whole fourth quarter, as I'm looking at the metrics here, the entire fourth quarter was was garbage time, and was re- was removed from the uh, the five factors that we look at. So that's what a blowout looks like. Just uh, you know, couple shot themselves in the foot a couple times. As Harbaugh said, I would agree um, in the first half, and you know that's that's how you end up too close at halftime, and then pulling away pretty quickly in the third.
0: Well, and then you had that touchdown by Northwestern, which kind of erased a lot of the good feelings I had heading into halftime. You know, when you have the points get erased like that, it it definitely looked like adversity, although definitely, you know, in the long run, it, it wasn't. And I think what really encouraged me was that, here, we've had a couple times where Michigan has had a difficult a difficult third quarter, right? And, you know, we saw that against Rutgers. We saw that against Nebraska. And I was wondering, oh, what's going to happen, you know, against Northwestern? You know, heading into half, they had that touchdown that, that tightened up the score a little bit. And I was really um, encouraged by how Michigan came out in the third quarter and really just slammed the door. Blake Corum talked about it in the post-game press conference. Well, you know, at halftime we came in, fixed some things, and then came back after half and, uh, you know, showed out. But uh, we don't want it to go that way, but sometimes that's how it is. Sometimes you have to battle adversity, and uh, adversity can be good sometimes. So, um, you know, we just had to fix some things up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They, that was their best quarter. You know, as I'm as I'm looking at the metrics here, the that yards per play was 6.7 you know in the third quarter 5.4 for the game so that you know that's where they really started to stretch it out and their success rate was 47% in the uh, in the third quarter compared to 49% for the whole game so they were uh, about as successful but a little bit more explosive started uh, you know moving the ball into bigger chunks like i said i think northwestern uh, started to tire there, even coming out of halftime, and you know another another job well done from uh, from from a high level. You know, from the ten thousand foot view, I think it it was it was very solid. Um, it's when you kind of zoom in on some of the specifics that uh, there's plenty there that still needs to improve, and uh, I think that you know what I'm seeing and hearing and feeling from the from the fan bases. A lot more consternation and, and worry than than I would have expected a seven and O team to have going into a rivalry game.
0: Well, one of the things is that you know, and I said this when we were watching the game. I think you know you add another touchdown or two, and I feel really good about the game, right? But the reality is, Michigan really controlled the game pretty much from beginning to end, and it definitely has shown how expectations have changed, have shifted throughout this season. Um, now, Clint, I, I know, you know, I, I've said, you know, when we were doing preseason predictions, I was hopeful that Michigan would be 5-2 and two at this point, right? And here we are 7-0, and oh, and yet as the expectations have gone up, so has some of the consternation and some of the criticism. So in one way, I think that it's a good thing that, the, that you know the fans have greater expectations, and they're not just looking at the record, and they're they're kind of picking apart some of the different things. But I know, I mean, I would have felt better with another touchdown or two. But after the third quarter, I I you know Michigan controlled the game. I was okay with it. Um, you know, we talked a little bit during the game. What do you think led to or drove Michigan's play selection? During the first half, where, like you said, they ran a lot of plays, but um, didn't have as much success as we would have liked.
1: Well, it seemed it seemed like Michigan was trying to put uh, a lot of balance, you know, almost an equal number of passes and runs on film, um, and and wanted to make future opponents, especially Michigan State coming up this week, prepare for a lot of different things. Right, And I think they also um, something that we didn't necessarily talk about up in the box was that you know both of the starting guards on the offensive line were were out you know with with injuries in this game so you had your your backups at both guard spots in there and I, I think that they wanted to make sure that those guys can hold up in the run game and also in the passing game, right? That they they wanted to make sure that they had uh all of their playbook available to them if uh if indeed they need to uh to rotate guys through on the offensive line like we've seen in the last uh the last two games uh at Nebraska and then this last game uh at home against Northwestern. But to me it looked like um almost as if they scripted the whole game that, that they wanted, they had certain things that they wanted to get, um, they wanted to run. Right. And, and, sometimes what they were calling seemed kind of out of place based on uh, the down and distance that, that they were in. So it was, uh, it was almost like, listen, on this drive, we're going to run, you know, play X and play Y. We just got to find a, a spot that it kind of makes sense. So, Um, I don't know anything, you know, I don't know that that is what it is. It just, it felt like an awkward fit. It definitely didn't feel like uh, typically when Josh Gaddis is in a good rhythm calling plays, um, you can see how he's attacking or why he's attacking or he finds something that is working and he he keeps hammering at that, that, uh, that point of weakness in different ways. And this one didn't feel that way. This one felt like they were trying to distribute the ball evenly to a bunch of different receivers, mix it up, pass and run relatively evenly. They wanted Corum and Haskins to get the ball relatively evenly. It just looked like they wanted to to show balance in all their different dimensions.
0: So it was interesting because as I looked, you know, as I reviewed the game, right, and and I've talked about it in previous podcasts. I watch the game live. I watch the game with the commentators turned off, and then I try to watch the game with the commentators because, you know, a lot of discussion is driven by um, the discussion during the broadcast. Whether I agree or not, you know, it it is a factor. And one of the things that struck me is watching the third quarter. It was much more what I would have expected Michigan's offense to do. Like, it was kind of like, okay, we're done playing, right? Boom, 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 pound, 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 drive down the field, right? And it's interesting because I don't feel, uh, you know, we've never really gotten a clear picture on if Michigan, if Josh Gaddis goes in running with scripted plays. We know that in the NFL, some coaches will do that. They will run their scripted plays. They'll run their scripted plays, see what kind of um, – of fits they get and then come back and and kind of dial up an attack. I didn't get the impression that was happening with Michigan. Like I like and it was funny because I couldn't really make heads or tails of it until you mentioned you're like, you know, they're just kind of just going down a list. They're just knocking things out and as I wa- rewatched the game, boy, it sure looked like that. And and I'll tell you another thing that I noticed, there were several times where I was disappointed watching the game live because it seemed as if some of the players in the formations didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. Like they kind of came out and, you know, it's not unusual to see a player shift a little bit, right? Oh, you're you're one spot down, right? But there are a couple places where they were, they really kind of shifted around a lot, you know, moved from one side to the other, did some different things. And watching it live, I was like, oh, gosh, what's going on? We're in game seven. We shouldn't be having that happening. And then as I rewatched it and I really looked at the formations and mapped it against, you know, we have our I have my um, unofficial Michigan playbook where I have our formations, what they do, what players come in. And what I realized is, oh, wait, they were really pushing the playbook a little bit. They And and it made sense. I'm like, oh, it's like Clint said. They're trying to get different things on film and that, that's going to um, give future opponents something difficult to prepare for. So I felt a little bit better about that. Now, I know that there is a lot of um, consternation among the fan base that, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in the passing game, especially the deep passing game yet. But I do think, you know... Here we are through game seven. We did see more of the playbook. And it's interesting, not necessarily successful parts of the playbook, but as you said, they weren't really calling for situation. They were kind of just putting stuff on tape. And I think if you wanted to take um, a sample of what to really pay attention to, it was that third quarter. The third quarter was the, the gloves are off and let's just put this thing out of reach.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, it's, it's total guesswork in, in theory, right? Um, I, I am relatively confident that it was about balance distribution and, and, and kind of being equal in all directions and trying not to show, you know, that's what's another thing that you do in the bye week is kind of self scout and check your tendencies. Um, I'm sure that that happened at Schembechler, and uh, you know they, didn't, they wanted to eliminate as many of those uh, tendencies as possible, so they, they wanted to look uh, very balanced, and, and it, it ended up working out fine, like I said, where we saw that the biggest problem on offense is once Michigan, again, was in the red zone, and they were running plays that, that didn't necessarily, to me, fit exactly the situation. You know, they threw the ball short of the goal line a couple times, um with with plays that had chances to work, but um not ideal right I think if you're going to throw down there it's fine, but you, you you would you'd like the ball to travel into the end zone right and so as soon as you catch it it's a touchdown and then the way that they've run the ball all year and the the way that they were running yesterday and with northwestern being uh you know struggling to defend the run, you know as soon as you're down inside the ten yard line. You, you have to assume that you could run the ball four times in a row and, and put the ball into the end zone if if it was just about scoring the points. It definitely seemed to me like there were reasons that they were doing what they were doing and calling what they were calling. So um, the last bit I would say on, on the offense, especially in the red zone, is I, I still think that J.J. McCarthy may uh, increase the number of snaps that he gets in the red zone, I think, uh, against – some of the bigger opponents that we've got coming up, including this week. Um, I think they're going to want that quarterback run threat um, down there inside the red zone. So that's the one thing that I think is coming that they didn't necessarily want to show um, because I think they're going to want the first big uh, quarterback read that they decide to use. I think they're going to use it in a big spot for a big third down conversion or, or, or something that's down in the red zone for points. So those are the things that I took away, at least uh, on the offensive from from Saturday. It was solid, some big holes that we all saw. Um, I, you know, McNamara is still taking a lot of fire from the fan base. But I thought that, uh, you know, the deep balls were, were off the mark, you know, by enough that, uh, you, you know, they weren't getting completed. But there was a couple that that were thrown. You know, I think of the uh, the back shoulder fade to Cornelius uh, Johnson. I, I thought that the receiver had a chance to catch that one, right? So you put those, uh, you know, that 15 yards and a touchdown um, into the into the box score, and I think everybody's fine with with what McNamara did. But um, we're just not going to get out of that argument. It's 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 just a dynamic that is apparently it's something that the Michigan fan base latches onto you know like uh, flashbacks to the the Drew Henson and Tom Brady days and and you know history doesn't uh, repeat itself but it rhymes and so here we are again everybody's got themselves twisted up and and i think the quarterback that's leading the team is doing an adequate job and is certainly capable of improving in the spots that it needs to
0: one of the things that jumped out to me is again there were two or three plays where players were out of alignment, and one of the things that jumped out was that Cade McNamara knew exactly where they should be, and and it struck me I'm like oh yeah that's right you know he knows the offense he knows where people are supposed to be lined up and and that made me you know again it's one of those things we've talked about listen why is he in there he's in there because he has the most experience he's in there because the coaches believe. He has the best chance to deliver a victory for the team, and you know that was just another kind of a, a little little light that went on. I'm like, oh, that's right. He knows exactly where everybody's supposed to be. Now, I'll tell you, I was. Uh, it was nice to see JJ in there. It was nice to see him running the ball. But man, that one run that he had, I had flashes of Dylan McCaffrey when he got hurt, um, and you know it. It's. It's tough because, you know, players got to play and they definitely got to get reps. And, you know, again, when you look at um, the things that they bring to the table, definitely um, you can understand why people are excited about J.J. But I do think that um, so, you know, we talk about Cade, right there. I have concerns. But, like, you know, I always use the dashboard analogy. Yeah, I see a light going on and off. I kind of wonder about it. But it's not a it's not a replace engine light, right? And I, I think that's the thing that I come back to. I watch the game, and I'm like, you know, I, I'd like to see some more accuracy on some of the longer throws. I would like to see that. I'm not sure that he can't do it. But I'm also not super confident that he can do it on a regular basis yet. Um and you know, here we are. We're seven and zero, right? I mean, if you had told me, you know, let's flash back to the beginning of the season, Michigan was going to be undefeated heading into Michigan State week, I would take that under any circumstances. And definitely, there's there's some consternation among the fan base. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I kind of picked up um, sitting in the um, the uh, the post game press conference is um you know some of the uh some of the media asked coach Harbaugh you know it seems like um you know you really don't have the the deep game there yet and uh he's like well i you know there was only one or two that that you know i thought he pushed and as soon as Cade came in they jumped on him, right and you could see the look on his face i mean i think that he's tired of hearing it um and i think that it's one of those things that you know, uh, hey, hey, you know, I, I, you could just see it in his face. like, gosh, the team, guys, the team's seven and zero. What do you want, right? And um, you know, again, what they're going to want is a, a victory in East Lansing. And um, the idea that that the team is progressing and growing. And you know, I, again, we're seven and zero. I look at the stats, and I, I think that he definitely has the opportunity to 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 prove something. But again, I I don't understand the the thought, and and again, not only have I heard it from fans, but I've heard it from people in the media that obviously JJ needs to go in, and I I, I just don't see the I don't see that.
1: And and again, the, the thing that I want to make sure that everybody understands is that Cade McNamara still has room to grow. I don't think that he's all the way up to his ceiling even in this season, and there were things that we saw. Uh, yesterday against Northwestern, that that improved. So where where the ball was uh, not accurate um, on those deep passes, right? What did improve was the timing. So his footwork was much more crisp, and the ball came out on time, right? I think what messed with the uh, the depth of the throw, right, is that he that he overthrew the ball when he was throwing with the wind, and then he underthrew a seam route to one of the tight ends. I think it was um, going into the wind, right? And, and I think that he still, he doesn't have it so finely tuned that he can adjust based on which way, which direction he's going in, whether he's with the wind or against the wind. So you can see where he was working, I think, right? And what they worked on in the bye week and saw a clear improvement, the rhythm uh, and, and timing of when he was letting the ball go. Definitely improved. And then there was another big play. I think it was a third and five early in the game, definitely first half, that uh, he's looking to the left. The um, what, what McNamara's strength is so far to, in this season is identifying what the defense is doing pre-snap, making sure that uh, Michigan's in the right play, right, and then you know executing what the defense is giving him based on what he sees where he has um, struggled in terms of reads and um, the mental part of playing quarterback is on the decision-making that has to happen after the snap of the ball, right? So what we saw yesterday was he moved from his first option to his second option and still got the ball out on time and accurately enough to make some of those conversions. And the play that I'm thinking of was a, third and five conversion to Eric all over the middle where he was looking left. I think uh, Cornelius Johnson was his first read on kind of a flag route um, toward the sideline. And it wasn't there. He came you know, from left to right to the middle. And just as Eric all was kind of sitting down in a zone, a pocket in the zone underneath uh, McNamara got rid of it quick, you know, threw it to where the defenders weren't all catches. It goes down, right at the first down marker, and and it's a big third down and five conversion. So those are the types of things that he was not doing before the bye week. If that first read wasn't there, his feet would get a little bit happy and he'd start running around a little bit. And then if he did try to throw it, he didn't have a good, solid foundation underneath him. So, um, again, from this point forward, you know I think we're almost to Cade's ceiling. But I don't think we're all the way there. I think he's gonna to continue to get better and he is certainly playing cleanly enough and, and, and giving you enough mentally before the snap and, and with executing the offense that he's good enough for Michigan to win the games that they want to win. Right? He he, he can he's gonna be good enough to execute this offense and win uh and, and compete in every game that's on the schedule, including the one that everybody asks about. So Um, if he's healthy, I I think that he stays the starter, and I think that that's the right decision.
0: The other thing that the team demonstrated uh, versus Northwestern was that both Blake Corum and Asan Haskins are just incredible weapons to run the ball. You know, Corum ended up with 119 yards. Haskins ended up with 110. I mean, they are just lights out, and again, just it's amazing to me that, um, you know, after, you know, saying years makes it sound dramatic, right? But it has been years to have two solid backs. And even though the offensive line was pieced together, right, as you mentioned with two, um, you know, different starting guards, once the offense kind of, you know, and I'm going to say it, stop, stop playing, right, they just opened up. And and again, you know, it's you've mentioned this that, you know, you gotta you have to appreciate how difficult it is for a defense, uh, you know, at one minute they're they're trying to catch Corum, and the next minute they're getting hammered by Haskins. I mean, it's just they, they complement each other so well, and I, I think that while people are frustrated at some of the aspects of Cade's passing attack really you're you're almost forgetting how solid the running attack is and and not just not just on one person so you know i think the question is going to be um you know can you maintain that and so far they have so it, it's it's every game i expect one or the other to kind of just explode and the other to kind of um you know recede into the background a little bit and they are both answering the bell and, and both doing really well. And it's, it's really exciting to see because they are, they do possess such different distinct si- styles and it's, it's really, it, it's, it's fun to watch. It's just plain fun.
1: Yeah. I, I was trying to think of a way to describe why it's hard to defend two guys that complement each other like that. Um, and, and, I'll say it this way, you know, if, if you've ever had to, to push a car that's in neutral, right, or, or ran out of gas, if you've ever had to push, um, that, that feeling of really having to kind of dig your heels in, dig your feet in, get, get everything behind what you've got and really, you know, put, put full effort and drive everything forward and then moving your feet and feeling that resistance. That's the kind of gathering yourself that you have to do. To, to be a, a defender against a guy like Hassan Haskins. And, and we saw it in this last game at Northwestern, right? He, he runs the ball for three yards, goes into the pile, and refuses to go down, right? So not enough Northwestern defenders kind of gather themselves and, and are fighting against him at the time. And then the rest of the, the, the Michigan offensive unit jumps in and, and it turns into a 19-yard rugby scrum. And at the last three yards, uh, Haskins popped out of the pile and almost almost broke it the whole way, right? He almost kept his balance and kept going, right? So if you're a defender and, and that's the kind of uh, mindset you've got to be in of, of trying to push a, a car that's in neutral and then imagine, oh, by the way, now go chase the, go chase the rabbit, right? Or, or like uh, Rocky Balboa in the original movie, having to chase the chicken. You know, like, to to transition so quickly from that, like, power, dig your heels in, be ready for a a, a real gut check in the trenches to, oh, by the way, this guy's going to shake you and you're going to fall down on your face, which he did to, you know, two Northwestern Wildcats on, on one run, you know, early in the game. So, yeah, Corman Haskins together um, brings such a, a – a really close to equal value, but in such different styles that I think it's really hard to game plan and and, and, and be a player out there on the defense. And, and and really, you have to be in a different mindset based on who's in the backfield.
0: Definitely. And again, it, it's one of the things that I think um, it, it's quietly something that has grown and that uh, Michigan, Michigan fans are able to take for granted. But it's been a long time. You know, I, I'm trying to think back when we've had two equal, punishing, devastating runners in the backfield. And it's definitely nice to see. And I think that it's super important to point out, and this was behind a patchwork offensive line, right? You have to wonder, um, you know, we've talked about in previous podcast about how Michigan has had great success cycling different people through you have to wonder if perhaps um you know part of this was done because you know they want to rest some guys get them healthy for Michigan state knowing that you know knowing in air quotes that they they had a lot of different ways to beat Northwestern and man when they when they put the uh, the pedal to the metal in that third quarter, they just they just thrashed them. And it's amazing to me, too, that, um, you know, it's funny, you look at the final score, and like I said, I would have loved to have seen another touchdown or two, but it's 33-7, right? And in some ways, you can almost look at that seven that Northwestern scored and said, well, okay, not great, but it was kind of fluky. And people are super focusing on the halftime score, right? And I'm like, listen, that's why you play a whole game. And, again, I, I, I'm, I'm still, I, I'm, I'll say it, I'm exasperated at some of the criticisms. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of the things people find entertainment in a lot of different ways. But, you know, you think about that play. Okay, so let's think about what we've seen, right, in the last couple of weeks. We saw the leap, okay. We saw Haskins move the pile. Okay, And I mean, that is just, okay, that is the kind of play that coaches all across America are going to show their team on why you don't give up, why you keep your legs driving, why everybody keeps pushing. I mean, that is the kind of play that I think, um, similar to how we're going to talk about the leap a couple years from now and say, remember that one play? I mean, for me, seeing the pile move like that is just is again it it's the kind of thing that you know coaches are gonna show their team players should should really take pride in and you really need to appreciate what we're seeing because we are definitely having the opportunity to see something really special between these two guys right now.
1: Yeah, I can't can't say enough about um you know it that's the heart and soul uh you know in combination with the with the offensive line that's the heart and soul of the offensive, uh, you know, identity. So um, what we need to happen to, to really be able to achieve what this team wants to achieve and, and to be a championship team is that Cade just has to tighten up um, the things that we've been talking about and, and be a solid uh, counterpunch when teams absolutely sell out and, and do things that are not fundamentally sound to try to stop that run game and, and make those guys pay. And he's shown that he's capable of doing that. He has to do it more consistently, and he's going to have to do it in some of the biggest spots in the biggest games. And he does that, then this team's got a chance to win all of the most important games, starting with the one that's coming up.
0: Now, we've talked about the offense quite a bit. The Michigan defense looked really good. Again, gave up that, uh, that long, fluky touchdown right before the half. But the thing that I'm amazed by in in watching the broadcast is when I'm at the game, okay, I'm really focused on watching the line of scrimmage, right? And what will happen is a play will go to one side, go to the other side, and when you're watching the broadcast, you really lose track of what's happening at the line of scrimmage once the play goes one way or the other. Um, The thing that Um, surprised me when I was going back to my notes is how many times the Michigan defense and specifically Aiden Hutchinson almost destroyed the the Northwestern quarterback I mean they are just missing by a split second and it's going to be interesting to see again Northwestern not the strongest squad this season but I, I really you know We've talked about this previously. Hutchinson is the type of player that has to be accounted for on every play. And what I saw on Saturday is some of the other players basically getting in on it. Right? You saw Christopher Hinton. You saw Mozzie Smith. I mean, I think the Michigan defense is progressing to the point that they're going to be um, potentially the difference maker as we head down these last this last stretch of the season, and again, big opportunity on Saturday, big opportunity to make up for what happened last year, where uh, Michigan State came into the big house and a COVID um, ab- abbreviated season, and really punched Michigan in the nose and kind of knocked them off schedule for the rest of the season, and you know, I I, I look at this defense and. We talk about the changes, um, you know, when Coach Brown left and how good the Michigan defense was the first couple seasons. Very uh, highly regarded, heralded. And I look at the defense right now and I'm like, gosh, these guys are really, really good too. Now, again, it's not a deep um, defense, right? It's, it's, you know, we saw what happened um, when, you know, you would lose a player here or there. So, again fingers crossed knock on wood but here we are seven and oh and the defense is looking really really good it's looking stout um you know josh ross is is ranging from sideline to sideline he's the player that i think they really need to um hope he stays in there because he's kind of like the captain of the defense and helping align and give direction to the other guys but the player who's really come on the last two or three games, in my opinion, is Dax Hill. I mean, Dax Hill is the player that we hoped for when he was such a highly regarded recruit.
1: Yeah, that's that's no doubt. And I think what Dax Hill played a really strong game, in my opinion, uh, th- yesterday against Northwestern. Um, but it was one of those performances that uh, you didn't hear his name called or or he didn't fill up the box score because I think he did his work covering their most dangerous receiver in the slot right that um that's the main reason that we didn't hear their you know their their slot receiver um being nearly as successful as what they needed to be succe- um to you know for Northwestern to be able to move the ball so Stefan uh Robinson had two receptions for one yard, right? That is their number one option for Northwestern's offense. he I don't know how many times he was targeted, but um, he had two catches for four yards and for minus three yards. So that's the kind of day that, that Dax Hill had, to your point. And a couple other guys that I think um, deserve to be mentioned that, that at least you and I haven't mentioned a lot this season Um, one of the guys on the interior, that defensive line that really stepped up yesterday, I thought was Mike Morris, number 90. Um, there was a big sack. I think, uh, he ended up splitting the credit with, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, um, where the, the pocket collapsed up the middle, right? So Ojabo and, and Hutchinson were just rocketing up, um, upfield off the edge against Northwestern the whole day. But there were a handful of times that the the interior of the offensive line also collapsed, and Mike Morris is right in the middle of that. And I think he's he's been really solid all year and uh, is going to be huge in, in these next, um, the last five games here of the regular season. What he can do and what the youngster, Chris Jenkins, can do on the interior there, when they're in there, giving Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton uh, a break. So Mike Morris, I think, should uh, was kind of an unheralded player yesterday that, that I would have given a, a defensive game ball to. And then the biggest breakout star for me yesterday, and he is getting a little bit of press, was DJ Turner at the corner position. So uh, he started yesterday, um, and really I didn't notice it. Um, I didn't notice how much playing time he was getting, until he made a, he made a big tackle on a, on a bubble screen, and then he had that ridiculous um, pass interference call against him, where it probably should have been offensive pass interference. But I said, "Man, Turner's in there a lot." And then, as I read, you know, some of the other media accounts, uh, it, they said that he had started the game, so um, a lot more reps there for DJ Turner this week, um, and he absolutely answered the bell. And in the past. When he has been in there as a rotational corner, um, he struggled a little bit, and he's he's one of the guys that's a little bit has been a little bit quicker to put his hands on the receiver uh, instead of trusting his technique and making a play. And and I'll tell you what, yesterday he was he really really had a great game, and then obviously you know that paid off where he got his hand on the ball, it popped up in the air, and he finished the play and, and made the interception. So it was great to see. Um, him take a big step forward and add a solid presence as a third corner uh, on the outside. And, and then with Dax Hill being your fourth guy, I think Michigan can be a little bit more dynamic now, um, knowing that they've got three cornerbacks that have proven that they they can cover and, and can play the techniques that they're taught in big spots. And uh, we're, we're not necessarily in as much trouble if we see a potential injury out there on the outside at corner. So congratulations to him. He deserves the press that he's getting and he had absolutely great cane yesterday, DJ Turner.
0: So one of the guys who did show up in the stats and, uh, you know, spoke about the overall character of the Michigan defense was David Ajabo. You know, he had three breakups yesterday. You know, on behalf of the defense, we always preach uh, nameless, faceless opponents. So we're just gonna go out there, execute, and do what we gotta do. You know, we can't we can't start you know, weighing games and whatever. We just gotta go out there and do our job, and the rest will take care of itself. You know, and it's interesting because we talk about like people will just look at the scoreboard and say, well, the score was thirty-three to seven, and you can look at the defensive stat sheet, and and again, okay. Aiden Hutchinson according to the stats only had 3 tackles but he was such a presence in that game that it's not reflected in the stats right and and it's funny because when you when you watch the game his presence looms over everything right mm-hmm. and again it's one of those things where when you talk about you know a player like DJ Turner Everybody can look at that interception, right? And that was great. But he was in, and he did do a really good job. And, and as you mentioned, you can't criticize him for that penalty because that was crap, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, when you really break down the play of, of players, you know, and I'll tell you, like, again, I'm, I'm looking at the stat sheet right now, and it's like, okay, Christopher Hinton had one tackle. Hey, he was a much bigger force in that game. And again, along with Mike Morris, who you mentioned. So there's really different things that you need to look at and and really break down. And I'll tell you, what I'm seeing in this team right now is people can be frustrated at the offense yesterday. But if you look at the defense, you should be ecstatic, okay? And I, I think in some ways the defense was a little... Um, uh, held back a little bit, um, and again, I I think it's man, I I am I am so excited to see what this team can achieve over the next, over the next five games, and uh, again, the, do I have questions? Sure, I have questions, but I think there's a lot more things to be excited about than things to be worried about, and, um, you know, it it's been, um, I you know, Clint, I will tell you. I feel better about this Michigan team right now than I have felt about any Michigan team since Jim Harbaugh has been here. Even in, you know, even that first year where, um, you know, they, you know, they came out of the gate looking good. I, I, I still had concerns, right? Uh, and It's not that I don't have concerns now, but I really feel that on both sides of the ball, you see things peaking. And I'm 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 super excited.
1: Yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely, there's there's a lot to be excited about. Um, I, I'm I'm probably as optimistic as I have been since uh, 2018 when they won 10 games in a row. Right? Um, I think they are a little bit more balanced than, than some of the uh, the previous teams that were some of Harbaugh's best. Um in terms of playing complimentary football, uh, the special teams this year is, is also, uh, something that could jump up and get you at any time. You know, we've talked, uh, the last few weeks, the way that the first few games looked, it looked like Michigan might be a threat to break a, a punt return in every game. Um, with, uh, with what we've seen, especially out of AJ Henning, uh, once he took over in the, I think the third game, um, but, you know, then they they come into this game against Northwestern and they block a punt. And and apparently Cornelius Johnson it's his first opportunity on the unit and he blocks a punt and that was specifically schemed up by Jay Harbaugh because of a a, a flaw in the protection that that they saw. So um one way or another it seems like the special teams are, are going to play a, a positive role for this team going forward, on top of everything that we've we've already said for the offense and defense. So, um, main thing is, is to continue doing what you're doing uh, for for this team. I think leaning on your 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 upperclassmen and leadership, and and embracing that uh, that mentality of don't flinch because there's going to be, uh, you know. M- large heaps of of adversity you know this coming week and, and a lot of distraction a lot of a lot of t- jawing and talking and a lot of ways to get out of focus um when when you have a rivalry game so it's just two or three times even more important for the guys who are leaders to really keep um keep the guys laser focused on the task at hand play cleanly um Really limit the big plays for the defense, I think, is is a big focus. Um, that, that long run for Northwestern is a little bit problematic, um, certainly not what you want to see with, with Kenneth Walker uh, looming this coming Saturday, but these are the things that can be fixed. And um, I think Cade McNamara and the receivers, a little bit of work to do to get on the same page to make sure that they can really exploit some opportunities that are going to be there. Um, when, uh, when Michigan state has to sell out to try to stop, you know, boom and zoom, uh, in the run game. So definitely exciting. I think this is, uh, this is the big opportunity now to kind of ratchet up the, the electricity on this season. If they can really go into East Lansing and make a statement, then, uh, you know, all bets are off. It's time to get fired up.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with
1: Clint Derringer.
0: Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for the UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.